Welcome to Optimist in Progress. I'm Tom and with me today is Drea Lettermendi. Hi Drea, how are you doing? Hi Tom, I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. We are talking to David Nett and Christy Blacknett, who founded a gym in Los Angeles called Heroes Journey Fitness. It is described by them on their website as a nerdy class-based gym in Burbank, California, and it's dedicated to the conviction that health and fitness training should be accessible to absolutely everyone, including fellow nerds and geeks. And I think it's really interesting right now because the fitness world and the health world are really changing. Last week, I was in the water surfing in Malibu, and one of the fittest people I've ever seen came and paddled up next to me and sat on his board. And I realized, this is a very LA moment, I realized it was the lead singer of the Chili Peppers, Anthony Kiddis. And he is a rock star. He is not a an athlete, but he looked like he could be an Olympic athlete, even though I think he's in his mid-50s now. And it just occurred to me that years ago that wouldn't happen there was very different worlds it was you're either into sport or you're into music or you're a rocker or you're a geek or you're a hip-hop head but now people are seeing physical wellness and expressions of physical health and strength as just being part of who they are no matter what their other interests are and I love that We've covered a lot of uh, topics related to optimism on the show. I think we've been we've been really trying to drill down and uh, even characterize, you know, what is optimism and how can we live in in um, an optimistic way. And I think we've we've really um, broadened the definition to include innovation, creativity, um, grit, and also kind of. I don't know, dismantling or changing a discipline or a field. And I think that my friends have really, really succeeded in that. So I'm super excited to introduce you to them. Well, why don't we let them in? David and Christy, lovely to meet you. How are you doing? Hey, nice to meet you too. We are well, or I'm well. I'm doing well too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So welcome to Optimist in Progress. We're excited to hear all about your gym um, and your mission, uh, the mission behind the gym today. But we always start with a question on optimism and get your take on it. And is optimism something that you think about on a daily basis? Do you think of yourselves as optimists? I think I definitely am an optimist to maybe to a fault uh, that can cause detriment to me sometimes uh, because I I want to see the best in everything and have the best experience and all of that. And sometimes I can project that into an experience that isn't great. (laughs) But I would say, but I'm an optimist. Like I, I I think I, I want everything to be good. Yeah. I, I think some people are naturally optimists. I, I'm not sure that I'm naturally an optimist, but I have, I make a decision to be optimistic. I guess um, I, I, uh, uh, I just actually just finished reading a book called Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, sort of a near future science fiction book about how humanity might 
cope with our coming ecological apocalypse. So not a super optimistic scenario, um, but in the book, the, the head of the ministry for the future talks about optimism in, in a way that really connected to me. Um, and she says that optimism is, is going long on humanity or going long on yourself. Um, if we mm. think about, you know, in terms of like stock market and stuff or whatever, if you short the stock market, you assume things are going to fail and you're going to try to make short-term money out of the process of failure. Um, for me, optimism is going long on myself or on my friends or on our society and our environment. And I think um, when you choose to go long on something like that and you choose to believe that it's going to work out in the long term, it also sort of changes your attitude toward the moment you may take extra steps to ensure that things go well for your yourself, for your body, for your mind, for your friends, for your society. So um, for me, it's less of a natural state than it is for Christy, but it's definitely a learned um, behavior that I that I try to, to follow. Beautiful way of looking at it, going long. I really I really like that, and I think that the the idea that it is is something that quite often takes a a view you know, looking all the way to the horizon, not just kind of what's immediately in front of you to to get that perspective is a really nice way of thinking about it. And it gives opportunity. I think optimism brings opportunity because for, for that exact same reason, when you decide that you're going to be positive about this moment or this thing that's ahead of you or the circumstance that you're in, that's an opportunity then to bring something positive to it. I like to ask people about their origins. Um, <laughs> I, I like to get to know people uh, related, of course, to their psychological makeup and what makes them tick. But I often ask people about their origins because I'm interested to know the building blocks, right? Um, we're, we have some genetic makeup that, that can lead us into some perspectives, but often it's our early experiences that will in many ways determine the, the, the way we are, especially our outlook uh, as adults. So, Christy, I'll start with you. Was there an experience, um, maybe a family member, a childhood, um, uh, you know, pastime, something that you feel like really helped shape your optimism? I don't know if it was one experience. I, I have thought about this actually a lot because I, I generally go through life thinking everything will work out. And because um, it mostly has. Right. And, but I think that comes from a, a place of privilege. I, uh, I grew up upper middle class white girl in a, in a suburb and you know my life was pretty carefree and happy and I think everything I wanted to do there was a path to do that I would go through life or have gone through life where for the most part all of the big things that I want to happen if they don't go exactly how I planned I'm able to pivot and kind of make the most out of it and still um, feel like I had a good experience now that's not to say I haven't had bad things happens or things haven't gone the way I've wanted to them have them go, especially the last few years mm -hmm. for lots of us. Um, but I, because of that privilege and that past, I think that whole experience has led me to be an optimistic person. David, how about you? Uh, I, so I, I think my experience was, was a little different from what Chris Christie described. Um, I think probably through my twenties and thirties, uh, and I, I don't know if it's as a result of my childhood or maybe the culture that I grew up in. I grew up in North Dakota in sort of a rural, kind of crusty, no emotions shown to each other, not hugging kind of culture. Not that my family did. My parents, of course, uh, cared for me and hugged me and told me they loved me and stuff. But generally, my culture is sort of a uh, frowny, um, sort of taciturn, um, non-demonstrative culture, and. Uh, and, I, and I think probably more in my 20s and 30s, I was maybe less of an optimist than I am now. Um, I maybe wallowed more in the 
the um, less positive moments of my life than than I try to now. And I honestly, in my early forties, I spent an enormous amount of time in therapy uh, and uh, seeking out um, assistance in my outlook against the world. My life kind of turned upside down at that time, and and I sought external ex- uh, assistance. And um, it was through working with a therapist that I found. Uh, and then experimenting with how those things, those tools that the therapist was giving me, made me feel that I found that um, choosing to again, you know, go long on my circumstance or on myself uh, resulted in better outcomes for me, better feeling in myself over the long term. It's not; it's hard sometimes, but uh, but I think mine is less of a sort of a childhood learning and more of a of a, a change in myself as an adult. And as I hear both of you describe your experiences, which are a bit different what sounds the same to me or at least um what could be a common feature is this awareness that both of you carry this pretty deep self-awareness about your own um sense of self and david i'm picking up on this concept from you that for you it actually is a bit more active and intentional Um, yeah it has to be yeah My, my my uh chemical and emotional makeup does not automatically turn toward optimism um uh uh, you know i like i said i've spent a lot of time in therapy i've had a couple of different diagnoses over the years um uh i've labored under the idea periodically that i have chronic depression or um potentially adhd but so yeah it isn't it isn't as much a natural state for me but but you know i'm enough of a scientist that i experimented like i said with those tools that i was given and i found that these choices do make me feel better and do have better outcomes in my life and that's it's not always easy, but it's hard to ignore those facts. So amazing just to hear the work that's been done to get to that place. I think it's it's really inspiring to kind of hear different people's approach to optimism and how it comes to people in, in different ways. And I think it's when whenever we talk to someone, there's always optimism in some area of their life, even if they don't think of themselves prevailingly as, a, as an optimist and sometimes it's kind of just it's just there it happens to be present and other times it's been worked on extremely hard but it's, it's really interesting to hear yeah the work that's gone into that in the, in the place again I come from like you know rural midwest and stuff and there is I, I think there's a lot of, of my growing up where I would have thought that the opposite of optimism was realism um, that's sort yes. of how we live like the idea that you're gonna be in the real world and it's not an optimistic place and I, I don't believe that anymore I, you know um, re, you can be an optimist and be a realist and in fact it is uh, to me, it is much easier to be an optimist when I do understand the reality of the totality of the circumstance, even if that looks, in, you know, in the short term or even in the medium term, less less than optimal for what I desire. It's there's still an opportunity there to to um, again to be optimistic over the long term or to accept the reality of the moment and create you know a, an optimistic outlook up, upon that reality. Well, let's talk about your physical fitness, um, especially as it relates to this brand that you've built together. Can you talk a little bit about what got you, first and foremost, uh, before you built Hero's Journey Fitness, what what got you excited about working out? So the same period that I was talking about that I went to therapy and sort of um, began to change the way I, I approached life, um, that I also approached fitness at that same time. Um, I was I, I was just turning 40, a bunch of things that happened in my life to sort of turn everything upside down and upset the apple cart. And I had a, a good friend who was my writing partner for a long time who um, had gotten very fit through CrossFit and so invited me to his CrossFit gym. And I didn't feel comfortable there. I'm a 
um, a lifelong self-described nerd. I was a basement dwelling Dungeons and Dragons player and a computer programmer and a software designer. And, um, and I just didn't feel comfortable in that environment. The people who were there were lovely. And in fact, I knew several of them in addition to different social environments, but I did not feel comfortable there. And with the way I was taught and, and sort of the ethos of the environment, which was not unkind, it just was uncomfortable. Um, and so instead, uh, my friend Andrew started training me in his garage. He had just gotten his CrossFit certification. And so we worked together to figure out why I was uncomfortable and what I needed um, in a fitness environment to make me stick, to, to make me interested, to help me stick, to help me feel good about it. Because it, it fitness, it was, uh, physical fitness wasn't something I had in my life. It wasn't something I ever enjoyed. or you know, And even if I periodically pursued it, because I, I was an actor, so trying to appear fit was important, I, I never stuck with it and I never enjoyed it. And together, Andrew and I, you know, with his knowledge um, and you know, my sort of self-awareness helped, we started to figure out what I would need in order to stick. And then over the course of that period, uh, some friends joined us in the driveway. Christy joined us at that point. So yeah, so then we basically had this little like group of nerds working out in, in my friend Andrew's driveway. And eventually he started a gym called Nerd, uh, Nerd Strong, it was Nerd Fit originally, then Nerd Strong. And then Christy and I joined as partners with him in that uh, endeavor. And that lasted for a few years. And then as sometimes it was an accidental business and the partnership fractured a little bit. We had a couple of other friends who were partners as well. Um, but that was sort of the beginning of it. And it was really, the, the two things that, that were fundamental were that um, A, despite a, a lifetime at that point of not enjoying fitness, Andrew and I were able to figure out a way to make it enjoyable and effective. Um, and then once we began to talk about that, how many of my nerdy friends wanted in on it. Um, and it became very clear that not only, it wasn't that just that I was struggling to find a way to relate um, to myself physically, a lot of my friends were too. And so it, it was a, it was a confluence of something that then made me feel good and then opportunity and, and the opportunity to serve other people. And I got b the kind of person I am. I became really Im immersed in the science of it and, you know, took a bunch of classes and certifications and, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was basically it. It was the, it was the opportunity to serve my community who had been left behind by the fitness world. In lots of ways. And I wonder, um, you know, Christy, if, if you can talk a little bit about um, the relationship that you had with fitness, and I'm using that word really, really loosely right now, I guess, working out, um, whether that means going to the gym or exercising, uh, it seems as though just getting into fitness for some people can be um, challenging or can be full of barriers or can people can see say like that's just not for me did you have a personal journey with this I did I so mine's a little different I grew up uh doing gymnastics so I was always very very active growing up my dad was a physical therapist we had a gym at home so I spent a lot of time like on a stairmaster watching tv because my tv was limited <laughs> like we got <laughs> we got so much tv a day but if you were exercising while you did you could do watch whatever you wanted so I just would stairmaster and watch wow. whatever ahead of ahead of his time it's like being in a, it's like being in a gym now like a, one yep. of the modern gyms are so you on a treadmill watching the tv yep. So, uh, so I had a very active childhood and upbringing and, and then it was hit or miss, uh, as I became an adult. Um, but I did have a traumatic experience in my, uh, mid early thirties, um, that I went to therapy after, you know, it was my kind of my first real experience with, uh, depression and kind of feeling like I couldn't pull myself out of things. And, um, the therapist that I had, uh, recommended that I, uh, 
choose a physical goal that would take me a long time to accomplish. So I chose to run a marathon. So I started training. It took me almost a year of training, but it really helped pull me out of, and it wasn't the only thing that helped pull me out of that depression low, but, um, really it became very apparent that I needed that in my life. And then it, it started to be where if I would have a, a, a low day or a low something happened and I got triggered, I would go for a run or I would do some physical fitness and I would feel better at the end of it. Um, and I, I met, uh, David right after I, uh, right, right before I ran the marathon. So in the midst of that kind of that exploration of realizing how important that physical fitness was just for my emotional and mental health. Um, and so that's kind of how I came into all of that, but I don't think I'm the only person that uh, benefits from that or has had that experience. But I've always been really grateful for that therapist. So I'd love to dive in about and, and hear the story about Hero's journey, because by, by the time you've set this up, you've both recognized that in your life, physical movement is really important. You've been partner in a gym before. What did you want to accomplish with the Hero's journey? And, and how did you see it as being different from other gyms or other franchises you know I think a lot of people have um, an anxious reaction to gym environments when you mention gym because I think the the kind of modern incarnation and there's loads more diversity now but the modern incarnation of a gym is a a big room with lots of different machines in it with lots of people walking around with headphones on with lots of people watching screens while they're on a treadmill on a on a bike how did you want your concept to be different than that well i mean i think the the one of the great things about being at nerd strong together and and with our other friends who were there and with the friends who were members and uh, we, we it being an accidental businessman we we didn't have a great plan going into that but we experimented a lot during those years figuring out you know what things made us feel good uh what things were less useful you know and watching an environment that was not as tightly you know planned um shift people would come into the gym never really having had fitness as nerds and um and geeks and you know and people without that in their lives and um when they uh in some circumstances when we had good accomplishments we we were following the structures that we knew in the fitness world so some competition might creep in and and uh we, we just we watched a lot of things really positive during our nerd strong years and a lot of things that we then we, we would try to you know, nip in the bud or, you know, to redirect. And so when we left NerdStrong, um, we we found pretty quickly that we missed the service to our community. I think that's true of both well, of us. Well, and to our mental and physical health suffered as well. Like yeah. emotionally, we needed this community. And when we, when we no longer had that community, we could sense that in ourselves and how we weren't feeling fulfilled and, and emotionally and mentally struggling a little bit. Yeah. And so, and so we spent a long time, like a full year, not opening a new gym right away, but a full year talking about exactly what you're, what you're saying. What, what would the structures be knowing everything that we've learned now? What do we want to construct that is different from other places that we've been and, and different from other offerings? And, and, and what we came back to was a term that we started using between the two of us, which was compassionate coaching. We wanted to have a place where, um, collaboration was key where uh, we met people where they were to take them where they wanted to go. A lot of physical fitness is um, uh, striving for something that uh, you see in someone else or um, a goal that a coach puts on you or sometimes in our worst case scenarios, an, an unpleasant goal 
um, you know, to be skinny or something like that that society puts on you. Um, and what became really important to us was trying to create structures where, as coaches, us and our and our other coaches could um, take the things that we had learned and our skills and our knowledge and our compassion and help someone who came to us. Um, starting from where they were to go to the place where they wanted to go without inserting our egos into the process. So rather than um, training someone for our desire for them, making sure we understood their desire for themselves and helping to train them in that respect. And it's it's sort of a simple concept, but it's a little bit um, harder than it sounds. And it's also a little bit lost in group fitness settings by necessity, mm. because when you've got a room full of 15 or 20 people and you're going to coach them in a class, it is hard to then tailor that for the goals and desires of each person. So we spent a long time trying to figure out how would a group fitness setting adapt for the needs and desires of each person in that setting. And so we built some fundamental mechanisms. We call, we've got a thing we call an adaptation tree, intent adaptations, to make sure that everybody who walks into our classes can meet that workout at the, for the exact place they are and to get to the place where they're going. I, I think that's really inspiring. Just, I guess it probably requires a bit more engagement on their side. So they have to think forward about what they want to see. Um, and also they feel more control about the whole journey. They feel like they're, it's their path rather than following someone else's. And I think that's a really interesting approach. And I know a lot of people leave physical fitness or they kind of fall off the wagon because it just doesn't feel like um, it's something that is right for them. By implementing that compassionate coaching and the adaptation tree and all of that, we are, we've started to see in, uh, people tap into their own ability to assess their own bodies in a way that uh, we didn't see before um, because it really is a skill like in in I feel like in fitness classes there's a lot of like listen to your body you know we say that a lot in the fitness world and it's not just me that says that uh, but it's definitely a skill that you need to learn and being able to to introspect and see what's going on for you in that day, your workout's not going to be just because you have often we get like a linear path for your workout, right? Lots of programs will be you, it escalates as you go, you're ticking boxes off, but that doesn't take into account, um, everything that happened prior to your workout. It didn't take into account how much you slept, um, what you ate the day before, uh, how your interpersonal relationships went, the stress of work, all of those things that affect our bodies and how we're able to move in our bodies at a, any given moment. But being able to then go into the adaptation stack on that tree and say, right, today I like I jumped today and just didn't feel good. It. I didn't push myself against the wall the whole time, which some people like to push themselves against the wall. Like that's, that's perfectly fine if that's your intent. But for lots of us having the flexibility and being in an environment that actually encourages you to choose the option that's best for you, um, has been really interesting to see people take ownership and of their own bodies and their own journey and what's going to be right for them specifically in that day. And the science of like muscle growth or the science of resilience growth and stuff, it's pretty well advanced. Like there's, you know, you can go online and you can find, as you were saying, a linear program that, that works, that's proven, that, that will help you build muscle or will help you, you know, build resilience or will help you run faster or run longer. That's not, 
I don't think we go to a group fitness setting because we're missing that knowledge. Um, the internet exists and that knowledge is everywhere. Um, you end up in a group fitness setting for other reasons because you're looking for um, assistance and community in achieving those goals. Um, there are many people who can download a program off the internet. And if you are self-motivated in that way and you like to work out by yourself and you know what your goal is and you're going to work toward it, that may be exactly what you need. But if you're walking into the gym to take a class with other people that is led by a coach, I think that's because you are seeking something different or something in addition. You, you are seeking that community in the process or that communal process. Process. You're seeking um, guidance in the moment, not just on the page. You know, you're seeking people who are like you, to, who are struggling with you. Um, you know, and, and providing those things in an environment where we can all work together, regardless of your expertise or your experience. Um, th that, that's the goal, I think, of a, of a group fitness class like this. What we wanted to provide was a community where people who are reticent, perhaps, about joining a gym or who have had bad experiences in those traditional fitness environments or who were like me, who felt like physical fitness was antithetical to their sense of self. I was a nerd. The idea of becoming big and strong was antithetical, I thought, mm. to who I was. Um, and so providing an environment where people who are cautious in that way can thrive is, is what we were going for. What is the structure of the classes? How do you bring this Collision of Worlds, which is the kind of geek universe and the fitness universe together. What can I expect in a class? Well, so I, I, I thought it's foundation, you know, physical fitness workouts are designed in, in a handful of specific ways. And we've got traditional fitness training to help us design those workouts. But Christy and I are, are, are both big nerds and geeks in our own right. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, do, uh, you can be, a, there's lots of different kinds of nerds and geeks. I was a math and science nerd growing up. I went to school originally on physics scholarships. I work in computers um, and in software uh, for my day job. Um, I love Star Wars and comic books, and I play Dungeons and Dragons my whole life. And I'm so I'm, I'm a pretty classic nerd. And Christy's got a lot of those same kind of fandoms. Um, and so we're pulling from the things that we love outside of the fitness world: movies and television, and uh, books and video games, and building workouts around those themes. So the workouts themselves, if you went down just by the movements, are are not radically dissimilar from what you would find at a class-based gym elsewhere. Um, but the the way that we structure the workout uh, and the um, the themes that we apply. So if, uh, yesterday, in fact, we had a workout, a Batman-themed workout that was a, a specifically a Dark Knight Returns workout. I missed it. Um, that was about Bruce and and oh. uh, and uh, Carrie Kelly. Um, so it was the workout was in two segments, and one of them was sort of a slow strength building workout. Bruce in the Dark Knight Returns is older, and he's trying to get his strength back to where he was as Batman. He's a big old slab of beef, a little bit slower than he used to be, but very strong. And so the first part of the workout is this sort of strong uh, strength building piece. Uh, Carrie Kelly is is young and vibrant, but she's also untrained. Uh, on the streets and she's not an, a circus acrobat the way that Dick Grayson was or something and so the second part is uh, about uh, a more varied workout that's tracking Carrie's, Carrie Kelly's um, ascent to Robin, her, her working a little bit of strength work, a little bit of gymnastics work, a little bit of explosive work to try to put her in that place. And so it's a combination of taking those traditional workout movements and, and then applying a theme that I can connect to, that Christy connects to, or that most of our nerds can connect to. And I, what we have found is that um, when people come together and into that space, even if they're nervous, um, having that familiar thing that that you love, it might not be that exact thing, but something that's familiar to you really puts you at ease. We had a new person join the gym uh, last month 
she was really nervous to come to her first class, but she got there and it was a squirrel girl workout. And she had, <laughs> she was a mutual friend of, uh, of another friend. And, and that friend had said that, you know, that she was really worried texting her the whole time before she got there and then got there and was like, Oh, it's a squirrel girl workout. I'll be fine. Um, so like it, and it also brings the community together that we found, um, because, uh, because of that love of nerdy things. And we don't all love the same nerdy things, but we all have a love of nerdy things. You talk to somebody who liked one thing and you liked this, and but you connected over the fact that you share a joy in this kind of nerdy thing. And we've seen that a lot in the gym of people connecting and coming together because we all feel safe and comfortable because we love all these different things and they might cross over and be the same and they might be slightly different. And we all have nerd blind spots like Christy was saying, but our members, when they get comfortable, will often ask us for a workout like, Hey, will you build a, uh, Urian ice workout or which yeah. is a, which is a sports anime that one of our members loves. And so Christy built a Urian ice workout. It's, it's a nerd blind spot for me, <laughs> but it brings, uh, her joy. And so we're going to build a, a workout around that. And then it turned out several people at the gym loved Urian ice. And so we'll, you know, we, we do that, uh, uh, you know, for our members and, and, and we all learn about each other's nerddoms and fandoms. And it's a way to, to share between each other that makes us comfortable while we're doing this maybe uncomfortable thing which is getting strong and fit. So just asking for a friend, not that I have one, but if someone was to have a, a, a Batman suit, sure. Could they wear that to work out in at the gym? Would you would you encourage that? We actually get the question a fair amount. Yeah. Can I wear a cape? Can I wear a costume? And and I guess the answer is <laughs> it, it's it is a it can be an intense workout. Although you can change the intensity of that because we have our intent adaptations through that. So um, I would not recommend regularly working out in any kind of costume. They are not made to work out, and they do not breathe well. Um, but if you really felt like you know today I need that reinforcement of wearing my Batman costume to the gym. We would help you adapt so that you don't pass out wearing your Batman costume. So ca- capes are permitted. Capes are permitted. You just have to be careful. We all have to be careful for each other. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of like t-shirts. We all a lot of expression of your fandom in t-shirts. Yeah. So that, that's been we, nice. We have very little actual cosplay at the gym, although we have had a couple of people over the years come, you know, feeling wearing something that they're empowered in a full Batman costume has not yet happened. But, <laughs> Tom, uh, you can make it happen. <laughs> I think there's very few gyms that allow capes and, and it's, it's a big, a big problem. A little easier for us than many gyms because we do, we have uh, entirely free weights and things. We don't have machines. So with the machines around clanking and clacking, that would be a very dangerous proposition for the same reason that capes would be very dangerous in the crime fighting world um but in our gym we can be safe enough with our free weights that we probably could make it work what you've just described is a very inclusive social Mm -hmm. environment and if i were to analyze why this works or 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 kind of take uh take an exploratory approach in terms of social psychology what i'm realizing is that when you grow up liking stuff that other peers bully you for or you know openly dislike mm-hmm. I, I have to admit that that the 80s and 90s if if you grew up in the 80s and 90s and were a nerd or a geek or, or played tabletop games or D, liked comic books especially if you were a girl it was not a very appealing characteristic socially and it's not to say that this doesn't happen to other youth but i do want to make a remark that i i think a lot of the the spark here for me 
and this is speaking very openly and personally now because I've been to your gym and I'm, I'm a huge nerd and I'm so mad that I miss this Batman workout. Um, <laughs> but what appeals to me is this concept of belongingness. And I think a lot of um, fitness groups and environments tend to want to be inclusive and want to, in, of course, invite you into their type of workout and their culture but there's something quite unique about this type of belongingness. It's like all bodies belong here, but you know what? Also all minds belong here. Um, what you like is actually something that we embrace. And the things that you had to kind of hide and even um, even feel negative emotions about because uh, other people didn't share those things are ones that you can be fully authentic about and bring to the space, yeah. whether it's that t-shirt you're wearing or this Batman workout or saying, Hey, you know, I really like this anime or this comic book or this fictional series or whatever. And the trainer's saying, we'll do that. We'll do that for you because it, it creates joy for you. Yeah. Um, is, is that really am I pinning down what 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 why this works like what is that spark well we when we were um before we opened Heroes Journey Fitness and we were taking a lot of time to think about things uh we I came across I don't even remember where I came across so I can't attribute it to the right person a sentiment of um there's a difference between everyone is welcome and this place was created for you and so we really took that to heart and um one of the ways we have done that is with an advisory board so that because we there's no way that we can um, know how to specifically create something for everyone. You know, we're still always learning. I think a good ex a good example is we had somebody coming in for an intro, and we were talking about the space. It was actually an intro that David had done, um, and you know, letting them know that there are like hair ties and and things in the bathroom and everything that you would need back there. And and uh, she had asked what kind of hair ties, and they're just kind of the elastic ones, uh, which didn't work for her hair type. And uh, for her hair type, she needed something that uh, wouldn't tangle it up. And we'd never thought of that. I, you know, I was the one who got the those hair ties. I uh, have thin, straight white girl hair, which just a little tie works. And so we, we adjusted it. She said that scrunchies for her hair type is what, uh, what works. Um, and so we now have scrunchies in the bathroom because that's what our community needed. And we didn't know that until then. Yeah. But, but that, but that's a big deal. Making a place that is made for you, like Christy said, is different from a place that tolerates you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's what we've tried to do. And, and, and it's, it's a, always a process. We are always growing with it all the time, but that's what we're, we're really striving for. I love the message that you have about not guilting yourself into working out or eating right all the time in, in your gym, in, in, in your ethos. Um, how do you think about that? How do you think about kind of not not the kind of pressure that you've got to be on it all the time that you can let yourself fly sometimes? There's actually a, a lot of science about um, the results of uh, of change that takes place because of guilt and shame, uh, about hmm. the longevity of it, and about the change um, motivated by shame. You know how that can perpetuate that same shame and guilt. Um, and, 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 you know, the bottom line of it is if you do something because, um, you feel shame and you want to change that thing, you feel shame about, you are less likely to succeed over the long term for that thing, whether we're talking about getting fit or weight loss or whatever. Um, if you can find a positive motivation, you are more likely to hold on to any change that you make. Um, our society 
for lots of reasons, because of lots of our societal structures, is filled with structures that lay on shame and guilt. In part, it's because it's a really powerful motivator for commerce under capitalism. So this is a little bit yep. of David the Socialist creeping through here, but um, those are powerful. They're powerful and immediate and really useful uh, advertising and marketing techniques. Um, and you can get people to spend money that way. And so, and the fitness industry, for for better or for worse, over its years since Jack LaLanne, has come to capitalize on a lot of those really visceral, um, but very negative feelings. And so, mm. if you build a structure on making people feel bad about themselves, or bad about what they eat, or bad about how they look, or bad about their physical capacity, you're not building a positive structure from your foundations. Um, if you can find a way to build a positive foundation and help people feel good about where they are and where they're going rather than feeling bad about where they are and where they've been, then you can maybe create a positive change that lasts and that feels good. And so that, I mean, at its foundation, that's why we started trying to build a really um, a positive environment. And, and I think there's a lot of gyms and fitness structures that want a positive environment. But the way that, I mean... We've taken uh, gym manager courses, uh, you know, to try to build the business. And there's so much of sort of shame and guilt and self-loathing, even if they don't use those words, built into the foundations of those those programs. Which isn't to say that every gym is like that, but it's it's sort of in the in the underlying ethos of the fitness world. There's a lot of sexism in that as well. Yeah, and yes. so, um, mm. as speaking as a woman, and you know, we have a, a fairly high percentage of uh, non-binary and and trans members of our gym that that traditional structure that our society has created in regards to fitness and guilt and shame don't serve, serve people. And, yeah. uh, you know, also too, there's in that traditional guilt and shame cycle, it's this, I've got to be a hundred percent from the beginning. I have to not miss any days. I have to give it everything or it's not worthwhile. And that's absolutely not true. You know, we all have different priority stacks in our life and our day. And that's those stacks shift depending on the demands and stresses of our life and physical fitness sometimes can be really high up there. Working out can be high in your priority stacks and other days, other times it needs to go a little bit lower in your stack and that's okay. Working out one day a week is infinitely better than none at all. And, and two, those single, uh, like small steps are really what get you to where you may want to be. Ultimately. I think about when David and I first met, he was working out one day a week and he, <laughs> he's like, that's it. I'm never going to work out more than one day a week ever. And then it became two days a week. I'm never working out more than two days a week. And then it's three, four. <laughs> and now if he doesn't work out five ish days a week, he doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like himself. And maybe I'm putting words into your no, mouth. It's true. But, but, it's a good example of not requiring more of yourself than you have the capacity at that point in time and that yeah. change takes time and that change requires things like talking about it first, like talking about the gym, talking about wanting to get fit, talking about wanting to work out. And then maybe you come in and try it and you do it once and then a little time passes and you go again, or maybe you regress back to the talking stage. All of that is important in the path to change and getting you to where you want to be. That's awesome. And I, and I love how, you know, you're looking at it for different genders, for diff people with different identities as well, because I think that, that there's enough barriers already to uh, getting, uh, you know, looking after yourself physically and, and the fitness industry has, has traditionally, not everyone uh, is doing it now, but it's traditionally put up more barriers to people. And I think it's, it's great to see uh, the way that you're thinking about 
that and, and welcoming people through the doors. And I think while there are not a whole lot of nerd gyms right now, I think the idea of bringing more compassion into physical fitness is increasing all the time. We, we are increasingly running into other gyms and other coaches who feel the same way and are striving for the same things. The, the difficulty for, for those modern gyms right now is there aren't established structures for you to rely on and, and turn to, and there isn't a 10-step program to a compassionate gym, and there isn't, you know, we're all still feeling our way through that. And eventually, I'm sure somebody maybe us will publish a book or something but uh uh but for right now we're all sort of feeling our way to this this ideal that we can see in our minds but that we're that we're working toward i, I love that that idea of you know kind of performance through compassion which is they almost seem like mutually exclusive terms don't they but only because we've been sort of put in that position through society they yeah. seem mutually yeah, exclusive conditions. because we're told that pain makes gain and we're told that you know you know, have somebody yelling at you one more rep that's how you get fit and you can get fit that way and if you're your, your fitness is, has, is purpose-driven. If you're a professional athlete or, you know, you're striving to compete at the Olympics and, and, and stuff, um, you, you need a different level of intensity in your training. Um, but also it's worth noting that uh, we, we, we give a, a seminar for coaches called Compassionate Coaching. We've done a couple of times. And, and uh, you know, we talked a little, I talked a little bit about in one of those, in one of those uh, sessions about, you know, if you're a purpose-driven uh, athlete, you're striving for a competition or whatever, you may have a more aggressive or a more, you know, competition-minded or, or aggressive-minded coach, or maybe a less compassionate environment. And I, I was actually schooled by someone who was a competitive Olympic athlete who said, actually, it's kind of the middle layers of fitness where, the, where you lose that compassion. If you're being trained, for the most part, to compete at that kind of world level, your conversations with your coach are much more of a dialogue and yeah. much more compassionate. It is that sort of middle retail levels of fitness where we lose those things because I think in some places we're trying to achieve scale. We're trying to reach, achieve universal repeatability because that's where profit comes in. Um, and so you meant a comment before that it, it does take a little more work for us to build workouts and build structures that are welcoming to everyone. But ultimately we think that's that's the right thing to do. And I've noticed that narrative, not just in physical fitness and performance, but also in people's approach to work or study. I think there was a period, you know, even pre-pandemic where people, would, it was almost like, um, how hard can you work? You know, the idea that like the can't stop, won't stop um, ethos, it was something that was celebrated. And I think there has been a shift, actually. And I think you're right. There is a compassion that people people kind of ask question why they're working that hard or is it even smart to be doing that are you using your time well are you recharged when you sit down and you try and think of something to write or something to say or or whatever you're doing and that much more rounded way of doing it and we do a lot of talking about uh, minimal effective dose. Um, you don't actually mm. need a whole lot to maintain where you're at. And so sometimes the minimal effective dose on any given day is much less than you would think it would be. There, Like yeah. we talked about earlier, there are people who want to just throw themselves against the wall all the time, and that's how they feel empowered and good, and their body recovers uh, from that. But for lots of us, uh, we're looking for a, a, a place in fitness where uh, it might be a really strenuous workout, but 30 minutes later, you feel really good. You don't feel destroyed. You don't feel like you're not going to be able to walk the next couple of days. And you might mm. want a little bit of soreness because some of us like that, but uh, the minimal effective dose is actually much smaller than we, we realize. And if you get too much, you're actually going to start to backslide in some things. And, and, and I think it's important whether we're talking about our lives and our work 
um, or we're talking about our gym or we're talking about our mental health, it is important to know that people thrive under different conditions. There are certainly people out there who thrive under that constant work hustle mentality who really, who that, that's how their bodies and their brains work and they thrive that way. Um, and then they write books about it and then we all try to do that because that's how they succeeded and it turns out many of us don't thrive that way and I think that's at the core of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Find the place mm -hmm. where you thrive and then help you thrive there. People come to you all the time about their wellness, you know, what practices and strategies and daily things they can do for their own well-being. How do you practice self-care? And I think what I'm really trying to ask is personally, what are like the one or two things that you do only for yourself to serve your well-being? Doesn't serve anyone else. Because I know what that's like that people come to you for that, right? Mm -hmm. What is sort of very sacred for you, the, the kinds of things that you do to restore your well-being? And Christy, I'll start with you. So for me, I, I am a meditator. So I meditate in the mornings for 20 minutes. Uh, when I don't do that, I feel a difference in how I move through the day. And uh, the other thing for me, too, is, I mean... I, I feel it when I don't work out. So having a consistent workout uh, plan helps me. But also the thing that I've also noted I need is a, like a daily walk. Even if it's like 20 minutes, sometimes it's 90 minutes. It's by myself. Sometimes David and I will walk to the gym, but we take different paths. So we're, we leave at the same time, but we both have different routes because we need that time by ourselves outside with the light hitting our eyeballs. Um, maybe we're li I'm listening to a podcast. Maybe I'm just, you know, thinking through things, but, um, that has been really helpful. And that's something that, uh, a practice that, uh, we both implemented during the lockdown and pandemic time because, um, we just started doing that and then realized how beneficial it had, has been. Yeah. I mean, mine aren't radically different. I, I, I discovered uh, about myself over the years. So I'm, I'm like a social introvert. I need a lot of alone time to recharge. So a big part of my, uh, wellness is, is being by myself. Um, which sometimes in relationships or if you're locked down in the pandemic in a, in a house, it's those things become hard. Um, if you're, if you go to work at a busy office and stuff, finding that alone time is hard. But for me, I need a couple of hours a day of just me with my thoughts, whether that's out for a walk or whether that's alone in my office or whatever, just to sort of survive and, and, and push through. I don't formally meditate all the time. That is good for me some of the time, but that's that it fall falls into that alone time category. Um, the other things for me are I, I read and watch television pretty voraciously. Um, I have, find great comfort in narrative. And so I read a lot of fiction. I watch a lot of uh, fiction, television, uh, and science fiction and, and fantasy stuff. Um, and that's, if I let those things go, my escape into narrative, if I let that go, I start to fray at the edges. It's nothing radical or, or anything, just you know, reading and watching TV and being by myself, honestly. It's achievable. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, uh, and, and I think we think about self-care and wellness, everything in America gets turned into an industry, right? And so we think about it in these very formal structures where we are fed it, whether it's going to the spa or, you know, any number of wellness things that can be sold to you. The problem is, and I think this is true, whether it's physical fitness or, or mental and emotional wellness, um, we go back to having to, to A, have a dialogue with yourself and really be thoughtful about your needs. Um, and at the same time to um, to know that it's a, a progress. You're not going to find 
perfect fitness. You're not going to find perfect mm. wellness. You're not going to find perfect emotional state, at least not for very long. Um, those things wax and wane. And um, if we're constantly striving for perfection, we've built ourselves another layer of anxiety and, and stress in our lives. If we're in dialogue with ourselves and you know, are able to say, gosh, I really need to take a break right now. Even if we can't, just the acknowledgement that, you know, there's many times when I'm on a work deadline work, I, gosh, I really need to spend 15 or 20 minutes reading to reset my brain, but I can't right now. But the acknowledgement of it actually is helpful to me. And so just understanding that it's not about perfection or not about somebody else's wellness path. It's about you. That's great. And Last question from us, because thank you so much for the time today. The conversation has been brilliant. I'd love to hear about cultural inspiration. So what gives you hope? Who inspires you? Is there a music track? Is there a book we can read? Is there a film we can watch that, um, that you see as inspiring that we can share with our listeners? I, I am a, an enormous fan of Mr. Rogers and Carl Sagan. So if we're looking for sort of inspiring people um, to read about or to see or to watch their, their lives or, you know, maybe go on, you know, YouTube or whatever and look for their lectures, the two of them I find endlessly inspiring, both because they are, I think that they are those optimistic realists. They understand the world around them in a profound way but have a positive outlook about how we can approach the world, whether they're talking from a science standpoint for Sagan's, in Sagan's case, or talking about you know, a personal and human, and you know, in many cases, childhood standpoint from Mr. Rogers' uh, place. They are, I think, they are endlessly inspiring to me. I read a lot and I watch a lot of you know, science fiction and movies and stuff, and I could list endless movies and books that I love, but I think if I'm looking for inspiration, the two of them are right at the top of the list for me. Oh man, that's hard to follow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, everything goes back to Battlestar Galactica for me. So um, I would say Battlestar Galactica. Uh, just the 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 pursuit of kind of feeling complete and wholeness and uh, community from that. Yeah. David Nett and Christy Blacknett from Heroes Journey Fitness. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've loved hearing your story. I look forward to finding the only cape friendly gym <laughs> in los angeles and uh thanks for the time today thank you thank you it's been a delight thanks for listening to the optimist in progress podcast brought to you by optimist drinks this podcast is presented by dr drea lettermendi and me tom johnston it's produced and researched by lisa far johnston with original music from reginald science perry and edited by brian ward and again you O'Dell. Email podcast at optimistdrinks.com with any questions or ideas and follow us at optimistdrinks on Instagram for updates on upcoming shows.